Good afternoon and welcome to the 155th of the COVID Calls. This is a daily discussion of the COVID-19 pandemic with a diverse collection of disaster experts. My name is Scott Gabriel Knowles. I'm a historian of disasters at Drexel University in Philadelphia. Today, we will talk about the experience of high school students living in the midst of a pandemic with Jasmine Castillo, Andrea Velez Padilla, Sydney Reed, Shoshi Cetron, and Tess Wolf. Just a reminder, you can catch COVID Calls live every weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern time on YouTube. Just go to the COVID Calls YouTube channel to watch. You can also watch COVID Calls on Facebook Live and on Periscope. You can hear COVID Calls anytime recorded as podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, or anywhere you get podcasts. You can also keep up with COVID Calls via Twitter using the handle at US of Disaster or at COVID Calls. Please do help spread the word and send suggestions for future guests, future topics, and please feel free to suggest yourself as a future guest. And just a reminder, we do have two special election COVID calls coming up the day before the election and on election day. If you'd like to participate in that in some way, even giving a report out from your state, please do get in contact with me. You can email me directly, sgk23 at drexel.edu, or you can find me on Twitter at US of Disaster. So in just starting out here, I'd like to take a moment to introduce a special guest, Paul Farber. Paul is the co-founder of Monument Lab, which is a public art and research studio based in Philadelphia. And if you're not familiar with Monument Lab's work, you definitely want to check them out. And Paul, hi, welcome to COVID Calls. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. Really thrilled to be here with you. Tell me a little bit about what you're up to with Monument Lab these days. Yeah, so... You know, Monument Lab is, we're based in Philadelphia, but we work across the country and, and sometimes um, outside of the U.S. And, um, but, you know, just as monuments are oftentimes in the news, they're sites of struggle. Um, we have been working with artists, municipal agencies, um, and our fellows on projects that relate to the past, present, and future of monuments in this country and connecting symbols and systems of justice and injustice. So I can only imagine, I mean, the last six months with the COVID-19 pandemic and then with the George Floyd murder and Black Lives Matter and everything else that's going on simultaneously, there's so much work for you to do. You wanna tell us a little bit about what your COVID work looks like right now? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, the work that we've been doing, we started in 2012 um, as a classroom project, myself and co-founder Ken Lum, um, and then spilled outside and we did public art and history projects, um, you know, in the courtyard of Philadelphia City Hall, then across the city of Philadelphia, um, and then in other cities with partners. And there was an urgency already when we started our work. We always felt like we were late. There were already artists, activists, students, educators, um, you know, calling attention to the uh, systems of representation and the ways that monuments were participating in um, these kind of larger, um, you know, social challenges and problems. And as we've gotten started, and of course, you know, um, as our works continued in 2020, um, when the pandemic hit, um, one of the first things that we started seeing, I mean, in addition, our projects were, were postponed um, or moved online, but people around the world were putting face masks on monuments. Anywhere there was a hot spot, there was a uh, mm -hmm. 
a picture that often, you know, ironically in the terms went viral, um, Wuhan, Lombardy, Italy, of course, across the United States. Hmm. And we read this as um, a kind of mis- uh, like a, a message to um, pub- our, our sense of public space changing dramatically. And, and of course, there are some of them that were kitschy or fun, but many of them we read as indictments um, of the systems that were meant to protect us. So myself and um, Monument Lab um, co-curator Patricia Yunji Kim wrote a piece for the Monument Lab Bulletin called Masked Monuments, Parting Gifts to Public Space. Um, we designed a field trip exercise because there are no field trips happening in schools now. You can download it on our um, website for free. Um, that looks like it's like a fun kit for kids, but we've it's been used in graduate programs across the country, retiree groups. Um, and the idea is that either from your own home or socially distanced outside, you can use this time to critically examine the monuments that exist and the monumental histories that have not been built about landscape, about legacies of, of repressions, but, but also kind of imagine what the next generation of monuments will be. Um, the last thing I'll just say of what we've been up to over the last few weeks, uh, we had the great opportunity of announcing a really remarkable and transformative grant from the Mellon Foundation. Um, we were the first uh, recipients from a new monuments project, a $250 million initiative that Mellon is leading over the next five years. Um, and so Monument Lab is the first grantee um, uh, and we are conducting a national monument audit with a team all over this country. We're gonna be um, in the next two years opening 10 field research offices. And so for us, this is a time where we do, of course, have to be thoughtful about social distancing, about um, public health and public art. But there's an urgency right now that we are addressing. We're working with colleagues around the country um, to really think about the monuments we've inherited and work to unearth the next generation of monuments. I I feel like the, you must definitely feel this way, that the um, things that were impossible both politically and aesthetically, even up until early this year, are just like falling by the wayside. I mean, not only um, memorials, monuments, statues coming down, improvised improvisations on ones that are up, and then projections on ones where it's somehow been caught in a liminal space. I've been so impressed by every aspect of that. I mean, Rizzo coming down in Philadelphia, for example, is something that I wouldn't have expected until all of a sudden I saw it and I thought, of course it's it's yeah. coming down. And I think there've been so many things like that this year. What, I mean, you must find yourself, you know, you're gonna do this audit. Like you must be just like frantically writing down every, you know, uh, case that's coming in front of you, right? Yeah, I mean, every day something's going on. Thankfully, I am a part of and represent an amazing team. Our research directors, Lori Allen and Sue Mobley um, among them. And I think part of what we're trying to pay attention to is what's new about this moment, but also what has been building. Because behind every headline that you read about monuments coming down, there's often backlog, like the hidden footnotes are activists organizing in that community, artists coming up with critical reflections. Um, And I think part of what we want to see is like what goes beyond that headline and also then what's after the headline. And so I think part of also what's happening now, um, and, and I think part of this is, is around the crises we have around public space. COVID highlighted for us the need for collective commons 
and also the inequities in public spaces. Um, and so, you know, in Philadelphia, for example, where we're based, um, in a moment where we have some of the most pivotal civic problems writ large are happening at monument sites, like the now removed Frank Rizzo monument or the soon to be removed Columbus monument in Marconi Plaza. As of June 1st, our public art office now ceases to exist in the words of the, the, the mayor's new budget. The two employees are working the best they can. They've moved to another division. And so like, there's a way in which monuments are the backdrop of some of our most pivotal challenges and also opportunities. And at the same time, we are not putting the resources in. For the week around the uprisings in May and June, the costs for police overtime, including the guarding of the Rizzo statue, would have funded the art office for upwards of four years. Like, it's a matter of days, four years. So I think just in terms of also what's wow. happening, it's, again, we're gonna, we, we give a lot of um, respect for the public art offices around the country who are in moments of shared sacrifice, doing a lot with a little when they cut staff, when they cut resources. But I think as artists ourselves, we're taking it upon ourselves to figure out what's necessary and what's urgent. And so, you know, one of the things that um, I'm also a part of is a group in Philadelphia called the Cleanse Collective um, with artists, Michelle Angela Ortiz, um, with Clip Collective um, and with, a, with several others. And what we did in the days after the Rizzo wall, um, former Rizzo mural was taken down is that we cleansed the space. We projected images um, of uh, communities around um, the, the 9th Street Market, um, working with a team of artists ranging from poet Ursula Rucker to photographer Naomi Ajoven. You'd see, art, you'd see um, workers of color face as big as where Rizzo used to be. Tonight, we're doing our second iteration. It's um, going to go live at 7 p.m. You can follow us on at cleanse215 and see it live. Um, and I, I, I will say just as a little bit of a preview, um, we are doing a series of projections as a COVID-19 memorial. Um, we have faced such profound losses of um, people around us, our family members, our friends, our colleagues, not to mention these lingering profound doubts. We are not, this is not right around the corner from being fixed. So I think part of what also happens is that the amount of grief that people feel, there are no traditional funerals, there are no traditional sitting shiva. There's, um, you know, ways that, the ways that we grieve that our rituals to move forward can't go forward. So tonight, if you tune in, um, or you can see the images, we're working with a small group of artists and we'll go fully public with it. It's not like the public events we used to do where we say as many people come sure, there, as many people see it online. And, you know, it's it's speculating, it's proposing the kinds of structures that could come. The last thing I'll say, you know, I go back to the influenza epidemic of uh, 19, of the, you know, nine, of the, the early 20th century, 1920, and what you, you don't find memorials to it. Yeah. You, you know, they're, they're very rare to find. You may find World War I memorials that overlap. So I think this kind of question of like, uh, how does public art, public history and public health blend together? So we are facing profoundly challenging moments, but we have to use a radical imagination to carry us through.
just having a, okay, making sure I wasn't muted there. Um, thank you for that that description. I just wanted to, I was multitasking while you were finishing what you're saying there and making sure we can find this. So people will find this on Instagram. Um, they, if they're not familiar with Instagram, they can just go to Instagram and look at, for, at, at cleanse215. Yep, or they could go to the Monument Lab page we'll, at monument underscore lab. Um, and you'll see also all of the artists will share it um, as well. And, you know, hopefully it's part of an ongoing dialogue with artists, with organizers, with educators around the world who said it didn't have to be this way. And in order to move forward, we have to find places of memory and, and collective action in ways that are appropriate for today to carry us through. I had a tremendous conversation earlier this week with Shannon Mattern uh, and with Aaron Simmons and Emily Bow, and we were talking about this issue of, of uh, COVID-19 memorialization. And um, they were really, I mean, we were, I was learning so much from them because they were just as you are, moving away from this idea of this sort of inevitability that we have to wait for this disaster to end somehow, however that will, will look. And then we have to, they'll have to be raise money, find a jury, have architecture and then erect something. Um, we can't, number one, we can't wait for that. And number two, um, the idea that you could somehow inscribe this disaster in a, in a discrete set of names just doesn't seem to, cap to me, doesn't capture it at all. We need memorials that are ongoing, living, that connect with care. And then also connect to me, COVID-19, to structural racism and the coexistence of those two disasters simultaneously. So it sounds like you're in working with those themes and we'll see something like that tonight possibly. Yeah, that's right. Those are the those are the questions and those are the necessities that we're looking at. You know, I think um, part of what Monument Lab does with our partners is try to imagine monuments that don't have to take those we have to we have to change the process in order to change our outcomes. So it's not to say that you know cities or municipalities shouldn't go ahead and do their traditional route. I hope one day there are finding ways to remember, but we can't wait for this to so-called be over in order to mourn. And there is a history um, that I think of where artists and activists have tapped in what I call urgent memory from the from AIDS activists, ACT UP activists, pointing out they're mourning their friends, they're anticipating their own um, mortality in public spaces doing die-ins. I think about environmental activists in the 1970s wore, um, wore gas masks and face masks in public um, to protest air quality. Um, the Parkland um, youth and other organizers around gun violence, they're not waiting for memory to be complete. Memory is a thing that's out of kind of place and time. Urgent memory fuels us in the moment. And I think part of that is really important for us to move forward and like we need resources we need care we also need memory and they're not disconnected and so some you know a phrase that we have uttered a lot this summer is is this kind of three-part monumental justice monumental education and monumental care so that we're netting together memory with action today well I appreciate you making time I know you've got to actually get over to do the projection so um, this was a, a visit on short notice and i really appreciate it paul and uh we're going to have you back for a full hour uh in december on COVID calls and and with some colleagues i hope as well and we'll we'll talk about this and the other projects as well so best of luck tonight and thanks for all the work you're doing thank you so much Scott. glad to be here look forward to reporting back with you soon
Okay, so uh, continuing on, let me just move to the next part of our discussion for today. I just wanna bring us up to date on the statistics for the day. As of today, October 23rd, 2020, there are 1,140,593 deaths from COVID-19 globally, according to the Johns Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center. There are 8,445,242 cases in the United States. That's up from 8,386,634 cases reported yesterday. There are now a total of 223,437 deaths reported in the United States, up from 222,766 reported yesterday. Okay. A familiar face. I have a co-host today. Really happy about that. And a co-host that listeners of COVID calls know well, Shivani Patel. Hi, Shivani. Hi, everyone. Forgot to be here. Just introduce Shivani quickly. Shivani's a second year student at Drexel University studying finance and economics and history now as well, I think. Uh, she's also a production assistant at COVID Calls and she helps do basically everything we do auditing transcripts, providing information for future shows and helping me develop future programs. She's also a representative on Drexel's student government working to voice the concerns of the student body to the administration. I'm gonna turn it over to you now, Shivani, for uh, the obituary today. And then um, we will all join together with our guests after you're done with that. So I will turn it over to you. As a way to bring humanity to the numbers, we've been reading a life story or a story of advocacy for those impacted by the pandemic in some way. We like to continue to do that right now. This story is from the New York Times, September 29, 2020 by Sean Hubler. The title is Super Healthy College Student Dies of Rare COVID-19 Complications. Chad Doral was in tremendous shape, tall and slender, played basketball, ran long distance, but the 19-year-old college student died in late September, apparently of neurological complications related to COVID-19. Mr. Durrell, a sophomore at Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina, had been living off campus and taking classes online when he became ill with flu-like symptoms. The school's chancellor, Sherry Everts, wrote in a statement to students confirming his death. His mother encouraged him to come home, quarantine, and be tested, Dr. Everts said. He tested positive for the coronavirus on September 7th and quarantined for 10 days before returning to Boone, according to his uncle, David Durrell, who said he lives seven houses away from the family in Wahlberg, North Carolina, near Winston-Salem. He said that after his nephew returned to college, he almost immediately began experiencing serious neurological problems. When he tried to get out of bed, Mr. Durrell said his legs were not working and my brother had to carry him to the car and take him to the emergency room. The doctor said it was a one in a million case, that they'd never seen something progress the way it did. It was a COVID complication that rather than attacking his respiratory system, it attacked his brain. Although the coronavirus targets the lungs foremost, it also attacks the kidneys, liver, and blood vessels, and a significant number of patients report neurological symptoms, including headaches, confusion, and delirium. Although colleges and universities have become hotspots in the pandemic, young, healthy people generally have been at a lower risk for developing severe forms of COVID-19. 
Only a few deaths among American college students have been linked to the virus, including a football player at California University of Pennsylvania. A New York Times database tracking the virus on college campuses has recorded at least 130,000 confirmed cases since the start of the pandemic, mostly this fall, and about 70 confirmed deaths, mostly in the spring among college employees. Tonia Maxi, a family friend who taught Chad Durrell in high school, said doctors told the family that they suspected he had a previously undetected case of a Guillain-Barre syndrome, a rare neurological disorder in which the body's immune system attacks nerves. Many viruses can trigger the syndrome, and there have been cases linked to COVID-19. Chad was so kind, Miss Maxi said, always a smile, always a dance. He was that kid that everybody loved. David Durrell said an autopsy was being conducted. He was healthy, Mr. Durrell said of his nephew. He was in tremendous shape, skinny, could run six miles without any issue. He ran with us less than three weeks ago, in fact. He was healthy until this hit. Mr. Durrell said that it was not clear how his nephew had contracted the virus. He told us he was always careful to wear a mask. Dr. Colin McDonald, chair of neurology at Fourth Sith Medical Center in Winston, uh, Winston, Salem, North Carolina, where Chad Durrell's parents removed him from life support so that the hospital and the staff members who cared for him were devastated by his death. An Appalachian state spokeswoman said the Durrell family had informed the university of this condition last week. She would not say what, if any, steps the school had taken as a result, but she said that the university had tested 7,569 students on campus this semester as of late September, and that 334 tested positive for a positivity rate of 4.4%. The college has reported 664 cases since the beginning of the pandemic up to late September, according to a New York Times tracker, including more than 600 since late June. And Watagawa County, where uh, Appalachian State is, experienced its worst seven-day period of the pandemic this past week. Confirmed coronavirus cases in the county have more than doubled since the beginning of September to over 900. In a now private Facebook post on the page of the Piedmont Pacers, a travel basketball team that Chad Durrell had played with, a friend of his mother, Susan Durrell, quoted her saying that if it can happen to a super healthy 19-year-old boy who doesn't smoke, vape, or do drugs, it can happen to anyone. The family confirmed that his mother had made the statement. As our family suffers this incredible loss, his mother wrote, we want to remind people to wear a mask and quarantine if you test positive, even without symptoms. You have no idea who can come into contact with that virus, acts differently. Giovanni, thank you for reading that. Well, let's turn to our conversation for today. This is gonna to be a, a lively and interesting one. And our theme today is discussion with high school students who are living in the midst of a pandemic. And so what we'd like to do, uh, what I usually do at the beginning is uh, read uh, introduction and uh, get a sense of where people are calling from. I think I'll ask my guests today just to introduce themselves if they wouldn't mind, just tell us, um, where they're a little bit about themselves and where they're calling from and what the pandemic situation is is looking like there. Shashi, can I start with you, please? Yes. Hi, my name is Shashi Satran. I am a ninth reader at Tower Hill School, which is in Wilmington, Delaware. And what's the pandemic situation looking like there? Um, I feel like that the amount of cases have definitely been going up recently 
in Delaware. I am personally back in school full time, of course, socially distanced and with masks. And I know that I'm very lucky to be doing that because I know that a lot of people aren't being able to be in person like I am. So I'm definitely very fortunate and happy about that. So everyone in your school is, is back. Um, most people are in person. There is a chance and a choice that if you would like to stay home and Zoom in during your classes that you can. So I do know several teachers and students are taking the choice of Zooming in to class. Thanks for that. Jasmine, uh, tell us a little about yourself and same question to you. What's the pandemic like where you're calling from? Yes, my name is Jasmine Castillo. I'm from the Dominican Republic. I'm a racing senior here. I study at Thomas McCain High School. The situation in the DR is really sad. Most people have lost their jobs and lives too. Um, there are a total of 100,000 cases, but most of those people already recovered. So we lost about 2,000 lives. You have a sense of uh, the kind of public health measures people are, are taking? Are they social distancing, using masks? Are they able to be out in public? Or are people mostly staying yes, home? They are maintaining quarantine, some of them. Also, they are wearing masks. Thank you for that. Andrea. Hi, my name is Andrea Velez. Um, I am from Puerto Rico, but I also study at McCain, Thomas McCain High School. And yeah, well, the situation in Puerto Rico is also very bad. Um, my, um, my grandmother, she's a nurse, and she told me that all the cases are going up. But I think it, it it is really bad in Puerto Rico because not everyone is taking safety uh, really serious and the cases are going up really fast. Are you keeping in close contact with family there? Yes, I am. All right, well, let's um, turn next to Sydney. Sydney, would you mind introducing yourself? Hi, my name is Sydney Reed. I'm a 11th grader at Cab Calio School of the Arts in Wilmington, Delaware. And right now our school is still online, but uh, in the next coming weeks, uh, week or two, we're going back a uh, hybrid schedule. And so we have the choice to go in, uh, with the choice to go in two days a week and stay home two days with Wednesday off or um, full off just four days online. And again, Wednesdays like a, uh, Okay. Thank you, Sydney. And it looks like yes, of course. we have Tess. Sorry about that. Um, so I'm currently in Wilmington. I'm a ninth grader at Wilmington Friends, even though I live in Newark. 
Um, so my situation's a lot like Shashi's. I'm doing a hybrid school thing. So there are a lot of like procedures in place and people are supposed to be wearing masks and social distancing all the time. But obviously you can't really control everybody out of school too. So overall, I think the cases in Delaware are going up a lot and it's probably going to end up changing our school situation. This is a perception that right now, just I get this sense you're in kind of a waiting mode. You're, you're, people mm -hmm. are glad things are where they are, but it looks like things are, are changing. Definitely. Okay, well, thank you all for those introductions and, and for joining us today. I'm gonna turn it over to Shivani. Hey, you guys. So for the first question we have today, um, with us being seven months into the pandemic, um, where it's already October, it's kind of hard to believe. How are you guys staying connected to your friends, your family, and your community during this time? Anyone want to go first? I guess I will start. Um, I think during the beginning of the pandemic, it was kind of harder to stay in touch as we were all just at home. We didn't really have anything to talk about with friends and it was just kind of awkward and new to us in general. I know I've mainly kept in touch using my phone and social media. I think that's what a lot of people have been doing. Um, and I feel like closer to now, a lot of people have been meeting up with some people socially distanced or not as I do not know what other people are doing outside of school, which can be kind of scary for kids our age who are taking the precautions and staying at home as we don't really know what other people are doing and we ourselves, of course, don't wanna get sick. Does anyone else wanna go next? I definitely agree with Shashi. I feel like we've adapted a lot and from the like beginning, we were, I found ways to FaceTime my friends. And as we felt more comfortable, even like getting together and everybody sits in a circle six feet apart with masks on just because that was like a way to see our friends. But I also feel like in a sense, it helped me reconnect with a lot of people, like friends who I had who don't live in Delaware, who live in places like um it gave us all a chance to kind of talk to each other for the first time because normally everybody's so busy. So it's kind of a chance to reconnect with people and like spend more time with my family too. Thank you for that, Tess. Uh, Andrea, do you want to go next? Um, yeah, I definitely agree with, with them. Uh, things are, well, well, really difficult and not everyone uh, takes all the precautions that are needed. I know some of my friends are, are going out with others and not everyone is taking the precautions that are needed and they have been opening uh, school activities. And I think all of those interactions and also the time that we have been quarantined are uh, well, are, are maybe uh, making them think that it is not that important. No Thank you for that, Andrea. Sydney, 
You can take this on. Okay, so I agree with Andrea. Um, I know school sports have started lately and people are um, going back to uh, sports and everything. Back to normal. It's hard because, you know, things are normal. Yeah, and I think schools are and like um, see people aren't taking precautions. Uh, and I think social media has um, helped other friends and things about social media and COVID. When we were really working to go out and, you know, I think uh, seeing friends that we um, social distance um, nice, but you gotta have to keep in your mind that it's still uncertain and unsafe, right? You know, so just precautions as always. Thank you for that, Sydney. Um, Hasnil, you gonna go next? Yes, it's been really awkward because before we were doing activities outside, we were together with family and going to school. I love going to school and see my friends and all that. But with the virus, we need to be careful to take care of ourselves and to take care of our family. So. I think we'll, I'll follow up. Um, and just if we're having any um, internet lagging issues, if you want to, you can try the stop cam feature just to my guests and it allows you to continue to hear us, each other, but um, sometimes it helps with the quality of the, uh, the internet a little bit. So if you have any trouble at all, you can just use that, that mode. I, I wanna just follow up. Thank you all for, for those uh, you know, first insights. And it strikes me, I didn't, we didn't ask, are you, do you all know each other? Are you all friends coming into this conversation? I um, personally know both Sydney and Tess. I know Hasmil. Okay, so there's some there's some connection there, and so you're already even uh, you know this this issue of trying to how you keep up with friends. I mean, it's something that you're people on this call are having to, to try to sort out. I wanted to ask you something just about, you know, this fall versus the spring, because you all went through a school shutdown in the springtime, and you've described some of you are back in school entirely or partially back, but we're facing nationally what may be a situation where we're gonna have to close down schools again or modify that. Does it feel different now than it did in the spring somehow? Or is this a lifestyle of learning that you're just used to now somehow? Tess, can I ask you that question first? Um, honestly, I think it's really different than the spring because in the spring it was kind of a surprise. And now the teachers have had time to prepare and to adapt their learning style to what it's like to be more online or have kids that are online. So it like really is a different experience. In the spring, we were all kind of like, oh, it might just go away soon, like this is kind of temporary. And now everybody really is like trying to figure out how to learn online and how to handle this because we're realizing that it's not such a short-term thing anymore. 
That's really interesting the way you've described that. Hasmiel, I wonder, let me bring you in on that. Is, is that resonate with your experience too? It's been really stressful. I agree with her. For me, I'm taking AP classes right now. So it's not the same it being through the computer. Like I don't get the same learning that I should when I go to school. And Sydney, what's it like for you? Does it seem somehow very different now than it did in the springtime? Um, so yes, um, I think because when COVID hit, we lost about a month of school. And after that, people kind of um, forgot what they were learning or just kind of thought school wasn't going to continue. And then when they said that school is going to continue in the spring, um, the teachers were sort of confused and not prepared. And the students um, didn't understand how online school was going to work. And so now that we've had um, some time to regulate it all, um, fall sessions going better. Um, I still think that the teachers aren't as enthusiastic about it just because um, a lot of teachers have said that they um, they enjoy teaching in person. They became a teacher to teach kids in person and, you know, interact with their students and definitely online. It's a different experience for them. And I don't think they're as happy as they will be when we get back to in person. I appreciate the fact that you're attuned to the happiness of your teachers that as a teacher that makes me happy um and that's a kind of discussion i think a lot of us are having about what we thought teaching and learning was going to be like and what we find ourselves in this moment shushi i want to ask you the same question because you know the way tess described it and this also makes sense to me the spring almost i mean of course the things that were happening in the world were horrifying but in the daily lived experience of shutting down school, it felt like getting ready for a snow day. And there was this sense like, well, maybe it'll be a week, two weeks, a month. And yet we go into the fall and it somehow the psychology of it seems like it is different. I wonder if you could share your experience about that. Yeah, definitely. I feel like because um, most of our classes were online in the spring and some of them still are online now, people started to kind of give up or not really care as much about their schoolwork, um, which can cause, I feel like, a lot of anxiety to a lot of, especially teens. And definitely, I don't think I learned as much in the spring as I had initially hoped to. And I feel like now in the fall, things are definitely getting a lot better as people are kind of more used to it but I feel like I do have several teachers that are online. So I do have to deal with things such as internet problems. And I know that class isn't as engaging and as interesting as it would normally be if we were all in person together. So for this next question, I'm asking this because I know that with everything having moved online, our worlds literally revolve around our laptops or our phones or literally any screen in general. And especially with our generation being um, so involved with social media. So I'm talking here like Instagram, TikTok. There's like uh, memes and jokes circulating on Instagram and TikTok. Um, and with just being exposed to the news all the time, um, what do you think is the impact of social media on teens during the pandemic? I'm saying, think uh, like the mental health impacts of the information age and just social media in general. Um, 
Sydney, would you like to go first on that one? Could you sort of repeat what you were asking? Was it about like how social media, like what were you? What's yeah, the impact? Social media? Yeah. Of social media? Yeah, during this pandemic. Okay, so I know a lot of people um, post a lot of like mental health stuff about how um, keep, like, those people mental health you know, sort of upset that this broke out and you're not seeing people for a while and not having normalcy um, got a lot of people down. And so I like that um, a lot of my friends, a lot of people I follow or um, scroll through on social media are always like, um, things will get better, you know, stay safe, um, keep working on yourself and stuff like that. Find time to do stuff you normally be able to do some more free time. I think it's really boosting everything. And I think also, um, um, I think that also, um, you know, connecting with friends and, you know, telling our, telling our stories about how we're doing the pandemic. Um, so we're able to relate to each other and help out with things that might help us um, get through these hard times. You got a little cut off there, Sydney, but it's okay. We got a bit of the last few words you were saying there. Um, Andrea, do you want to go next on that question? What do you think is the impact of social media on teens during the pandemic? I think it's uh, it's really stressing. Um, I also have seen like a lot of uh, posts of. Uh, online classes of students that make jokes to the oldest teachers and and I really found that really disrespectful disrespectful because you know this is like a whole new learning for everyone and I know it's difficult and that you know not everyone uh, gets it and mostly the teachers who um you know has the most pressure on them trying to learn how to use this uh, online learning so they can teach you and help you whenever you need. And also them try to learn how to, you know, be active and there for you. And it's really uh, difficult and really disrespectful from most of the teenagers who don't. Thank you for that, Andrea. What's your take on it, Shoshi? Um, I think that social media has both helped and kind of worsened the whole idea of the pandemic and a lot of other things that have been happening throughout the years, such as the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, I feel like it definitely has helped me stay more involved and kind of learn more about what's happening around the world that I normally wouldn't have known. And also, of course, keep in touch with my friends. And as Tess was saying earlier, people that I hadn't really um, kept in touch with as much. Um, I think that it has also definitely, as I was kind of saying before, caused some anxiety and some people to get a lot more stressed. As I know, I have definitely been spending a lot more time on my phone, which isn't normally the best. And I feel like social media as well as it can help, it also has definitely not really been the best. And I've definitely wanted to 
of course, see my friends and teachers in real life. Yeah, I completely agree there with the whole anxiety thing because it's just like very exposed to so much information. But yeah. Um, Hasmila, do you want to go next? What's your take on that? Yes, I agree with her. You know, we're we are more involved right now. With we see a lot in social media, and it's a thank you, Hasmil. Tess. So actually, you really kind of said what I was saying. I thought that social media was really helpful, uh, especially kind of towards the beginning to feel less isolated because you remember that like everyone coming in together and it was a good way to keep in touch with people. And it was also definitely instrumental. I feel like a lot of kids, especially like around my age, took this opportunity at home as a time to kind of educate themselves especially because of what's happening in the world right now, it was a really good chance to learn about what's happening in your world and kind of form opinions for yourself. And I think social media was really helpful for that because it, it kind of exposed a lot of kids to things that otherwise they wouldn't have been. Yeah, I just want to follow up on that, Tess. Let me stay with you for a second on this because the I remember, I don't know if others of you remember it like this, but particularly again in the earlier part of the pandemic, there was a lot of community building going on with social media and people were discovering in part because we were locked down at home if we were following public health advice um, and people were reconnecting with old friends. They were checking in on family. I had my brothers and sisters on uh, last week. Uh, I have six brothers and sisters and we were talking about our experience of the pandemic and they we live all different parts of the country and we set up a weekly call, Zoom call, and playing ping pong on, and we were cooking and working in the garden. There were certain aspects of it that were coping with disaster and trying to live a life. And social media seemed to kind of enable that. And I, I wonder how that's been for you, and I'll ask the others as well. Have you found yourself doing something in the pandemic using social media that you hadn't done before or socializing in ways that you hadn't done before? Yes, let me ask you that first. Okay. Um, so the first thing that comes to mind is normally I go to a sleepaway camp for six weeks during the summer, which I obviously wasn't able to do this year. But the way my camp kind of um, made up for it was they had these like weekly Zoom calls, which were really great because it was something I could look forward to. But they also really utilized their social media and they did like games and things and different contests um through instagram and facebook and all that kind of stuff and it was definitely kind of a morale booster for me because it was something to look forward to and it was a way to still see those people who i really missed even if they were in chicago or mexico or california I, that's so interesting and important and i was talking with student journalists earlier this week college journalists editors of major daily campus newspapers. And they were talking about just trying to keep the reporters together over the summer and how they didn't give up. And they tried a bunch of different ways to try to do it. And it didn't really ever kind of measure up to getting everybody together in the newsroom, but there was still that importance of that connection. Sydney, I don't know, have you found yourself socializing 
participating groups that you hadn't before, either with family, friends, or people you didn't know through the pandemic? Um, so what I think of um, is I'm part of the singing group um, uh, back home uh, at my home. And um, because we haven't had practices, we normally practice in a church basement. And there's about 100 of us. And um, usually um, we go every Saturday and stuff like that. And so um, without happening, and that hasn't been since March, obviously, we have um, Zoom calls and we'll talk about um, different things that we want to start practicing or like practicing at home to get ready for concerts in the future and just talk about how, how we all are and um, stuff like that. And it's a group that kind of does a community service to both the public. And so um, we just talk about ideas that we can do to um, help everybody out, even though we can't see people on our particular person, but messages to like the elderly online or whatever it might be. Um, that's really interesting. Thank you for telling us about that. Andrea, let me ask you the, the same thing. Find yourself socializing somehow differently now. Um, I am part of the AVI class. I am a rise uh I am a senior. I'm sorry. And uh it's been uh really difficult to, you know, uh try to make your best uh, in your uh, classes and also uh, being in contact with my counselor and my avid teacher uh, out of uh, school hours and zooming in to talk about colleges applications and being in contact to uh, fill all these requirements. And it's been a uh, really different than what would have been if we would have been at school present. So there, that's another way that the socialization this way, sort of getting ready, thinking about college is, is functioning differently too. Hasmila, let me ask you the same thing. Are there, have you found yourself in yes. new groups, new grouping of friends, things that you wouldn't have done before? Yes, uh, most of my family live in the DR. So most of the time I was traveling there to see them. My mom is there, I miss her so much. And right now, last summer, I wasn't able to see her. So social media is not like my best friend. So I can see her and talk to her. Shashi, can I ask you this, this same question, please? Yeah, I can definitely um, relate my pretty much my entire family other than me and my parents and my brother um, live in Canada. So I feel like this whole social media aspect and Zoom has really helped me stay in touch with them as I haven't been able to visit them in person. So I feel like it's definitely helped. And I've also been able to stay in touch with um a lot of friends that I normally wouldn't have the time to, but with all this new time, just staying at home, I feel like it has definitely helped a lot. That's been same for me. Um, maybe because it's more time or maybe because of just the upside down nature of the world right now. I'm not sure what it is, but I have found myself reaching out to people 
not that I wouldn't have wanted to before, but somehow there just wasn't time, but somehow to jump on the Zoom call these days for five minutes doesn't seem weird at all, right? Completely. Um, for the next question, you guys, it's with the with everything going on in the world, especially with this pandemic, how are your teachers coping and your brothers and sisters, your parents? Um, Hesmina, I'd like to start off with you and then Tess. Okay, so we are keeping social distancing. Every time we go out, we wear masks. Also in school, my teachers, they are always finding a way to make fun, uh, to make the class fun for us, to engage us, to, to participate more in class. With everything going on, they try to make things a little bit more easier for Um, I'm not totally sure how my teachers are coping, but I know for my family, at least, uh, there's definitely a little, it's a little more tense for my parents, I know, because every single interaction now, they have to weigh the pros and cons and decide how safe it is and if it's worth it. And I think just doing that all the time is definitely a little tiring for them. But overall, I, we definitely realize like my family's in a pretty fortunate position that we, my parents still have their jobs. We can still live pretty comfortably, even if it's not ideal. So we haven't had to have, I've, or I feel like I haven't at least had too much extra anxiety, but there's definitely that extra little layer of tension there that wasn't before. Shashi, do you want to go next? Yeah, for sure. I can also definitely agree with Tess. I'm very fortunate that my family still has stable jobs and that we're doing well economically. So I'm very thankful for that. I do feel like I personally and I think my family also has been going through it more mentally a little bit. Of course, I feel like this has taken a big toll on everyone. And I feel like everyone's going through some type of struggle in it or anxiety, even if it's not that big. So, of course, I feel like the pandemic has definitely affected all of us, but it hasn't really affected me as much as others. But I'm very thankful for that. Um, so Thank you for that. Sydney? My teachers are doing the best, you know, um, yeah, they're doing the best they can as for accommodating for students and try to understand how they might be learning differently online as they you know, would in person. And so, um, but definitely taking it easy on us a little bit more just to um, not stress us out because we are having a lot of anxiety with all the different ways that school is working. And also, um, I know my school personally does what they call an anchor day on Monday. The um, teachers have to do that we have for what's happen for the week and any questions and just checking in on everyone, make sure everyone's not falling behind. And I'm just kind of keeping up with the material. And so I think that that's what I'll how our life is at, uh, for school purposes. And as for my family, um, I've also hybrid learning. Um, and so he goes to school two days, and I go home two days, and he 
he's like um he's the marching band and part of the school show so um and so he's really enjoying it he's keeping the disaster work um that's my parents and me um my my uh my dad's still working i'm only a stay-at-home mom so nothing too different for her i think just that you know still um with covid you still have to sort of um keep safe but my dad still has his job and works from home as well so it's not too much different for him you know still working from home as normal um, i guess less traveling uh, um for him because he's still okay but um besides that um, i know we're all doing work now maybe my parents do yoga every morning and i personally work out um every day as well and so i think that um the little extra time that COVID's giving us to not do other things just traveling or whatever it might be um is benefiting because we're doing other things to do in our time that are coming up i agree the extra time is definitely helpful um and then next we have andrea um, personally, this pandemic has affected my family uh, really drastically because my both of my guardians, my aunt and my uncle, have had uh, had changed jobs because uh, they were not um, you know taking the precautions that were needed, and they are suffering from anxiety, and sometimes it's too bad that they they can't handle themselves. Um, the other day, um, my aunt uh, had to go to the hospital because she had an uh, anxiety attack, and she said that her chest uh, hurt so bad that it almost seemed like it was like a heart attack. And it also affected us mostly because they're holders at home, and so I have to. Uh, as I said, I'm a senior, and also I have to take care of the kids after uh, I'm done with the with the classes, and uh, they had to go to work, and it's a very difficult situation. Sorry to hear about your aunt. I hope she's feeling better. Thank you for sharing that, uh, Andrea, and thank you all for uh, sharing those, you know, I mean, I think this is a time in which families, we were just talking about, you know, families connecting over distance, but also uh, people having to learn to cope with things that maybe they haven't seen before. And I think that right now, I, I feel like I am looking a lot to young people for their reaction to what's happening in this country. Um, and, you know, this pandemic has, doesn't play fair. I mean, disasters don't. The inequality of the impacts has been well-documented and it's profound, particularly in African-American communities and in Latino communities in America. I wonder, just get your feedback on, on that. Why you think the pandemic has exposed inequality in America and what you think we should do about that. Hasmil, can I start with you on, on this question? Yes, of course. The best thing that we can do 
uh, first of all, it's the racism, the racism that we are having right now. Uh, we should treat everyone equally. That should be the first thing that we should do. And we should, we should think more about other people's feelings and keep others safe, wearing a mask right now, keeping social distancing. That's the best thing that we can do right now. Andrea, can I get your perspective on, on this difficult question? I agree with Hasmiel. Um, we should like still uh, take care of ourselves and that way we can help others wearing a mask, uh, you know, keeping social distancing. I know as many have been going out and uh, not taking the right precautions to prevent uh, this from happening to them or to others because they may have it and uh, they may be asymptomatic and don't know about it. Um, and also about Black Lives Matter, yeah, I came from Puerto Rico, it's a different country where you see different uh, people, different races, and you just, uh, it's it's very normal. We don't, it's not like, uh, we don't treat people different by their color. That's, it's not a big deal there. But when I came here, it was, it was very frustrating because um, everyone is very, not everyone, but most people, uh, you know, it's very picky with others because they don't know how to speak their language well because of their skin color or how they look like. And I think that's uh, very important and uh, such way it impacts us very much. Well, thanks for sharing that. Tess, let me ask you the same thing. I mean, we're living through a period of time. I mean, racism is nothing new in America, but having it exposed in the middle of this pandemic has been pretty extraordinary. What's your take on it and, and how have you addressed it? Um, so I think in America, it's pretty clear that your healthcare and what you have access to is often based on how much money you have. And all of a sudden, when a lot of people needed healthcare and people, um, especially the people who didn't have the option to just stay at home for weeks, either because they needed the money or other reasons, it became a lot more apparent who had the access to the healthcare they needed and who didn't. So even if those inequalities were there before, the pandemic definitely like brought them to life. Were you able to participate in any of the Black Lives Matter actions tests that started taking place in May and throughout the summer? I wasn't really because my parents that didn't really feel comfortable leaving the house. So yeah. we were at home pretty much the whole time. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, their participation was um, was real, but it wasn't, may not have been on the streets. Um, so I think a lot of people shared that experience. Sydney, let me ask you the same question, and it's not an easy one, but you know, we find ourselves in the middle of uh, a period of time which we're reconsidering what racial justice means in America. What's that meant to you?
What racial justice means to me, I guess, is, I guess, not judging people based on their race and treating everyone equally um, in the rights of, I guess, um, you know, uh, like schools and healthcare and, you know, with the police force and all that stuff. Um, I think there's a lot of bias or, um, you know, or um, against people of color and, you know, it affects people greatly. Um, and, you know, I wish that if, um, I think that we should sort of <laughs> try to, like, try to word it. Um, I think if we sort of as a, like, a country and a society sort of recreate what the meaning is, um, and I guess get people educated on the true meaning of racial uh, equality and stuff that we have a more um, society and that people will live a lot better um, if we were to sort of um, reword the meaning and get everyone educated and understanding how it affects people of color, um, the, you know, the bias and stuff like that. Especially the, you know, building on what Sydney is saying, we rely on schools, not only what happens in the classroom, learning about history and, and racism in America and justice, but also the coming together of a school community so that people are in, we hope, diverse groups and they learn um, that about toleration and they learn how other people live. And now we're all in our homes. It seems like a, a quite a difficult time to be trying to piece together uh, an education about racial justice. What's it been like for you learning about and confronting those issues at this time? Well, I feel like um, social media has definitely helped me kind of realize this racial inequality a lot more as we're all definitely spending a lot more time on it. And I know that things can definitely spread a lot more quickly through social media. So I feel like a lot of people have been having realizations about this racial inequality and definitely wanting to do a lot more about this. I feel also that, of course, the upcoming election has hold a big toll on racial inequality and has kind of had people talk and feel a bit more comfortable about talking about this in schools, online, and pretty much everywhere. Just speaking for yourself personally, have you been able to engage in some of the protests or various kinds of actions in the Black Lives Matter movement? I have not been able to go to any of the protests as of course, I've been wanting to stay home because of COVID, but I've definitely been spending this time learning a lot more about this topic online, um, watching debates and, and documentaries and things such as that, just trying to become more informed about racial inequality in America Shivani, and across the world. let me ask you the same question. I know that uh, you're not in high school, but uh, you're also a person who thinks deeply about these issues as all of our other guests are telling us that they have through this time. 
it seems like the same tension is there. It's a time when we need our our communities of of students and colleagues and and professors and teachers, and yet we've been distant from each other. You want to talk about how you engage with with Black Lives Matter at this time? Yeah, um, it, at the, specifically, I'm going to talk about how I've been doing it at the university level at Drexel. Um, so I sit, I, I help in one of our, um, like Scott mentioned earlier, I'm on the student government at Drexel and I um, help advise one of our members who sits on the anti-racism task committee at Drexel. Um, and I'm also on the civic engagement committee. So right now, a lot of our work has been focused around um, bringing, making sure that the voices of the surrounding communities and University City in Philadelphia, um, such as Palatin and Mantua, um, we've been sitting in on their virtual meetings and making sure that we're doing everything we can um, as an institution to ensure that their voices are being counted um, when we report back to ad administrators during our meetings. So that's one way that we've been um, trying to keep this conversation about racial justice going because like we mentioned earlier, um, it's not like a one day solved thing. It's a constant conversation and discussion that has to be involved in everything. It's a systemic issue. Thanks for that, yeah. Shivani. I, I think you've got the next question. Yeah. Um, so you guys, with over the spring, you've seen how different universities have been handling um, the pandemic. Um, seeing how different universities have been handling their students, and right now you're seeing what their fall plans are and their spring plans are, like with colors looking more different than ever, how is the pandemic impacting your idea of post-grad plans? Um, Hasna, can we start with you? Yes, can you repeat the question, please? Yeah, with um, college looking more different than ever, how is the pandemic impacting your idea of post-graduation plans? Oh, it's been, I was wondering a lot and looking in social media mostly and I changed my plans, like how, how the graduation is gonna be and you know the promise that you wish for your senior year and applying for college with, with you know your counselor having the support it's been a little bit more difficult um tess can we hear from you so i'm only a freshman so i haven't thought that too much about after high school but i know it's definitely affected my high school plans because my family was actually planning on living in New Zealand this year because my mother works at UD so she has sabbatical and obviously that changed and hopefully we're still planning on going next year but everything's kind of up in the air so my whole like um high school experience was definitely varied by the fact that I don't know where I'm going to be next year. <laughs> Very interesting, Tess. Um, next, can we have Andrea? Um, and it's been really difficult because uh, as a senior, 
uh, I'm really stressed about whether or not I will be able to, um, you know, have all the requirements for college. And um, many of these things are difficult because uh, of, of the things that I have to fill out, the financial aids, and most of those things I don't know how to do it by myself. So I need my counselor to help me or my other teacher. And so not being present with them in the classroom makes it difficult to, for them to help me, but they make their best. And I try my best to, to um, Thank you, Andrea. Next, can we have Sydney? How is the pandemic impacting your idea of post-grad plans? So I think um, that is um, every single day, except for Mondays, um, they're having a virtual visit with um, officers from a lot of colleges, and um, I already been on virtual visits with one schools on your university, which is a school that I'm interested in. And um, they're trying to still, I guess, inform us we can't have a college tour. We can't have, like, um, we can't go in person with the admissions officer to ask questions or anybody like. And so um, I think that I like that my school uh, counselors are um, setting these up because now we can ask questions and see what uh, the requirements are. And I haven't applied yet to colleges just because I'm taking my SAT and I'm still in junior year, so um, it's ahead of me, but not currently um, right now. But um, it's nice that my counselors are in the because I might be interested in any last questions and their contact information so we can um, go ahead after the virtual visit and ask them about other questions and um, start virtual towards the schools and stuff like that. And so I think that's been really helpful. Good luck with your SAT, Sydney. Um, Shashi, can we have you go next? Um, again, I am also a freshman as well as Tess. So I haven't really been thinking about college that much. I was actually also supposed to go and live in New Zealand this year along with Tess. Our um, moms actually worked together, so we were supposed to go together. So of course that definitely changed what I was supposed to be doing this year as I wasn't really sure of how freshman high school was going to be. Um, and I also am hopefully going to be going to New Zealand next year, but of course we don't really have any idea with how the pandemic is going to end up, when it's gonna end. So I don't really know how much, how my high school career is gonna be really flowing but hopefully all goes well soon. It's interesting to hear you talk about, you know, when I was in high school in the previous century, um, you had to, we were told even as early as ninth grade, you gotta start building that, that resume. You gotta be volunteering with clubs. You should be doing all, you know, the curricular stuff, of course, you've got to keep up with the grades, but also all the extracurricular stuff. And as we were talking about earlier, like you're all improvising ways to stay connected with extracurricular things. Um, I don't know, does anybody want to want to share some thoughts about that too? Like, how is it, I, I'm curious how it's 
how you will have that that kind of full high school experience that you also are expected to have when it comes time to fill out that college application. And I, I think we worry about that probably too much, but I know it's part of the stress of your life because I've lived it too. Shashi, do you want to answer that? Yeah, definitely. I feel like a big part of high school is definitely the sports and clubs and after school activities. And I know that a lot of people are definitely missing that and kind of hoping that that happens. I have been lucky enough to be doing several clubs and after school activities. Um, sports in some schools in Delaware have started. I am doing cross country, so it's kind of easier to social distance while running. But um, then again, there are sports like football and volleyball, which is indoors, which is kind of a lot harder to focus on. And I know that a lot of people are definitely disappointed with not being able to play or not being able to do as many activities as they had originally hoped for. I wonder if anybody else wanted to offer something to that question just about having a extracurricular life at this time. This isn't so much about the extracurriculars, but I definitely um, kind of struggle with like the not knowing where I'm going to be next year, making sure that eventually I get all of my classes in, like I take the math classes I need to take. And, but even like with the extracurriculars, I'm definitely luckier to be in a position where my school was able to adapt and do different things. Like I had an audition for mock trial yesterday over Zoom, but um, definitely different. Like there are some things that I was, excited to try, but don't exactly work out when people are online. Wait, so you had an audition for mock trial? Yes. How'd that go? It was okay. But I zoomed in and there were um, two lawyers sitting there and I talked to them for a little bit. But it definitely was like different giving a speech over Zoom than walking sure. in and giving a speech in front of people. Wow, that's really impressive. I have I've I've watched some um, uh, comedians, people who do improv, and I actually participated in one in the spring. I was like just part of the show. I didn't have to be the centerpiece of it. But you know, something like that, where you try to modify these interactions, you know, like we, somebody I think it was Sydney was saying earlier about choir, you know, singing together, forming together, sports together. All of a sudden, we're trying again. We're trying to adapt all of these things. Anybody else want to have a example of that that you've been found yourself involved with? If not, we can move on. We're almost up on time. I got so into the conversation, I forgot to remind everybody that they're listening to COVID calls, um, and you can catch COVID calls every weekday at five o'clock. And today, we're talking with um, high school students about what it's like to be a high school student in the middle of the pandemic. One last question for you all, and uh, I'll, again, I'm going to show my age here a little bit, but I graduated from high school in 1991, and that means I lived through the end of the Cold War when I was in high school, and it was a big deal because I had grown up in the Cold War and and 
you know, nuclear weapons were always on our mind and and all of the things you've seen in movies and, and read in books about what the tensions of that time. And then all of a sudden the Berlin Wall came down um, and the world changed. And that was a long time ago, of course, but living through it, I don't know. I don't think I fully could grasp it, how much the world was changing in that moment. And I guess that's kind of my question to you all. I mean, uh, you've talked a lot about social media and about your ability to keep up with changes in the world. You're all much more clued in to what's happening in the world than I was when I was your age. I can guarantee you that. Um, but I wonder, like, what is it like to live through history? Are you keeping a, a journal? Are you, and by whatever means you might do that, it's probably in a digital way. How are you marking this moment? What, how do you feel like you're changing living through this history? I mean, I think you're kind of like the COVID-19 generation. I mean, I think you're, you're coming into adulthood at a time when the world is going through a set of changes that we don't usually see happening all at once. So I, I want to ask everybody that. Shivani, you're in on this too. But let me, uh, I don't know, who would like to take this first? Maybe, um, Andrea, could I ask you this, this question first? It is uh, um, really unbelievable somehow because it's like it's like a bunch of things that are thrown at you, um, and you're you're just you didn't expect this, and so it, it changed a lot of things, not even uh, your um, your life, and uh, but it changed yourself. Your the way you think, the way you act, the so many things um, that are going on and passing through our minds that it's and it's really humbling. It's humbling. That's a good way to put it. Tess, what about you? I think I'm definitely aware of the fact that we're living through history. I thought about it a lot more in the beginning too, kind of like how the future was going to look back on it and how people reacted and how our country reacted. Um, and I, I've thought about like taking um, a diary or journal or something because I definitely want to be able to remember like how I felt and what I was thinking now when I'm older and trying to explain it to my grandkids or something. Uh, I haven't been able to keep a journal because I'm not very good at that but I've been trying to write things down whenever I can because like I'm definitely aware of the fact that I am living through history don't worry nobody can keep a journal it's almost impossible <laughs> and the demands of keeping up with the day-to-day -day are just really impressive but um it's interesting to hear you say you do have that feeling that you're living through you're living through history Shivani what do you think um, so I've been documenting it roughly in two ways, and one, they're both, it's very every, informal. Every day at five o'clock? <laughs> I mean, you're doing that. <laughs> but um, informally, I have my Snapchat memories, um, where every day you take a Snapchat and you save it, and you, I don't know, I, I've been kind of doing that, because I, I had a feeling from, like, so every single day since March, I've had a picture, like a selfie, <laughs> um, and I've written how I felt, whatever, but um I, I don't keep a day-to-day -day journal, but I have a journal where I write down when I'm feeling something really extreme. And the question is, what does it feel like to be living through history? And a lot of entries in there are about how overwhelmed I have felt 
especially um, living in the information age when we're just exposed to so much like crap that's going on in the world. Um, and it just like, some, there's times I've been, I felt numb, I felt overwhelmed, um, felt powerless. Um, but all those feelings together, writing them down, um, it just kind of inspires me to, you know, channel that energy into doing something a little more, you know, that's gonna go somewhere good. So that's mm -hmm. kind of what I've been doing with it. Yeah, it's super impressive that, that you've been doing that daily uh, reminder, the daily, uh, the picture, but- the Snapchat. <laughs> Snapchat, sorry, yeah. Um, but also I think, to, yeah, interesting to put it in that context of, of also thinking about how living through history at this time as an individual shouldn't be maybe that individual of a, of a thing. It should be more community oriented. It should be more outward facing. And I know that's something you're really interested in. I mean, in your, in your student government work, um, that's probably how we should all be thinking. This is not all about our own individual experience at this time. It's about how we connect with other people. Sydney, can I bring you in on that? So personally, I started like doing little daily vlogs and it wasn't just a proposal, it was just kind of like what I do in my life, but um, it has like glimpses of like me wearing my mask and me doing online school and, you know, um, people being social distanced and all that stuff, you know, and um, I think that seeing all that stuff, I'll kind of like always remember that like, oh, this was a time where um, and all the precautions that we were taking and all that stuff and then also something I was just thinking about is like how a lot of the practices that we had pre-COVID like as for sanitary stuff it we didn't really take it into mind that much people hugged people and touched surfaces and didn't really think about the germs just in general that they that were going around and you know now with COVID we're taking extreme sanitary measures which is of course but I think even before COVID, there was viral and bacterial stuff everywhere. And I think that after this, people are going to have a completely different mindset on just um, how to like themselves sanitary, especially um, with COVID and even without COVID, just from a common cold mm -hmm. or, you know, pink eye or whatever might be around, you know, the flu, anything like that. You don't think we're going to be so quick to run up and give people a, a hug, Sydney, or do you think we'll see that again? I think we'll eventually see that, but I think um, with like commonly touched surfaces or just like big public events, just with everything, I think people will be a lot more precautious, like just on like sanitizing themselves after or, you know, stuff like that. I think that with people that we're used to seeing and stuff will interact the way we were just like in big groups or stuff like that. Um, people will just kind of keep in mind that um, things do spread if it's not COVID or whatever it might be. That's really smart. I mean, you're thinking like a epidemiologist uh, there, uh, sort of imagining that that future where we kind of adapt to that. Um, Hasmil, can I bring you in on this question? Yes. Yes, I've been taking pictures like Shivani, and of everything when I go out to eat with my family. Sometimes the social distancing signs, and it's good to have them as a memory of how we are living right now. Well, we're almost up on time. Shashi, I'm gonna give you the last word on this. Um, living through history, what's it like? I think it's definitely kind of crazy and weird that in 
10, 20 years from now, there are going to be history books about something that we're personally going through, which is crazy considering how many significant events have happened in only one year. And I feel like we're all going to remember this and kind of take advantage of the time we can spend with people a lot more now and later on throughout the years. Final thoughts, Shivani, before we close out the show? Um, I just want to say thank you for listening to all your perspectives, you guys, especially listening from like high school students. Here I am in my second year. It's very refreshing. Um, so thank you guys for your perspective. You're glad not to have to be going through the college search process again, right? But, Absolutely. But, but tell our guests that it all works out and you find the place that you're supposed to be, right? You've told me Yeah, that. you guys, trust the process. And I mean that with every inch of my heart. Um, trust, trust the process, it all works out in the end. It's been a great conversation. I want to remind everybody you're listening to COVID Calls. You can catch COVID Calls every weekday at 5 p.m. Closing out what's been a really powerful week this week, and we're going to have another great week um, next week. So please do join me on uh, Monday at 5 o'clock. And I want to thank my guests today, high school students who are living through the pandemic, and thank them for being so open and honest. Tess Wolf, Andrea Velez, Asmiel Castillo, Shoshi Satran, and Sydney Reed. Thanks so much. Stay healthy, everybody. We'll see you on Monday at 5 o'clock.